Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers, uh, come on, come forward. Let's, uh, let's give as God has given to us because everything is from God and for God. I'm going to invite Lawrence Smith up right now uh, at Mountain View Sunnyside here. We are in the middle of uh, this month doing some pulpit swapping. Uh, so last Sunday night, I was at Lawrence's Church, Neighborhood Fresno, which is over by Roosevelt High School. Got to preach there. And so he's here with us to share the good things that God is doing in his life and how God is uh, working through him, working through his wife, Melanie, uh, through their family to really really bring a culture of generosity to a new part of Fresno. Uh, so we're going to pray for Lawrence. Lawrence and I started working together at Mountain View in 2009. Uh, he's got a great heart for Jesus. Uh, God's used that in a bunch of different ways. So that's really exciting. Uh, let's stretch out our hands towards Lawrence as we pray for him. So Father, we thank you for your son, Lawrence. Thank you for the great things you're going to do through him today. Thank you for the way uh, that you have already brought this message home in his heart. Uh, and we thank you for the freedom that you're going to bring us as we hear from uh, from your word today and from your vessel, Lawrence. And so we praise you for all the good things you're going to do. Thank you. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Kim. Well, it's really good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, as Pastor Ken said, I, some of you might know me actually from Mountain View when I was the worship pastor there. Uh, and I was also the junior high pastor there too. So some of your kids maybe were in the junior high youth group when I was pastoring. So you might know me that way. You also might know me uh, through Greg, who was doing missions moment. He's my brother. Uh, he looks almost exactly like me and sounds almost exactly like me. I was noticing. And he almost dresses exactly like I, We're like the same person, I guess. So it's easy to get us confused. <laughs> um, also, you might, know, you might know me because you recognize my face from supporting my family and I. Uh, we are missionaries in downtown Fresno that uh, Mountain View supports at Neighborhood Church. And here's a picture of my family. Uh, you can see me back there with my son, Jeremiah, and my wife, Melanie, has that really cute headband going on. She can't help but looking cute. Uh, and that other family there, that's Joe and Heidi White and their kids. Uh, and we are planting Neighborhood Church with them. Uh, we are basically, we are like a big family. Uh, there are partners, there are friends in ministry, and you guys are supporting us, but you're also supporting them, and you're supporting Neighborhood Church, and you're a part of missions in downtown Fresno. And a cool thing about missions is when we say yes to Jesus, we're all, each of us, every single one of you and me, called on mission to follow him. And missions doesn't just have to be overseas, though that's part of it. Missions is also right here, in Fresno, or in the place that you live. Missions happens here, too. It happens with your neighbor, happens with your coworker, or happens in your family. We are all called on mission to follow Jesus in obedience and to share the good news and his love with people. And that's what we're doing in the Jackson neighborhood. Uh, so thank you guys for supporting us. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for being a part of the story of Neighborhood Church and the good news that Jesus is drawing people to himself in our neighborhood. Uh, also, creating a culture of generosity is where you guys are uh, in the sermon series, and that's where we're going to pick up. And last week, Pastor Tony preached in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Well, guess what? We're going to do it again. I memorized this sermon so I could say it word for word. I'm just kidding. Okay, but really, we are going to look at Luke 19, and the cool thing about reading the Bible is it's God's Word. It's alive and powerful. Every time we open it up, whether we read the same set of verses, whether we read the same chapter, 
in a, one week every single day, or maybe in the whole month, we think about one word in one verse every single day. The cool thing about God's word is that because the Holy Spirit inspired it, the Holy Spirit will teach us and often teaches us new things, often draws us into God's presence to get new words of life, encouragement, and challenge for us. And so when we read a passage again, look at a passage again, we get to look at it kind of with new eyes because the Holy Spirit is constantly teaching. So as we read, let's read it with that way. But before we read, let me just remind us of the gospel. We don't have to look very hard, right, to see the brokenness and darkness in the world. Like we, we look and hear about stories about school shootings in the nation. We hear about shootings all over the place. We hear about violence. We hear about hate. We hear about racism. Sometimes the stories come from far away, but sometimes they come from our own neighborhoods. They feel so close to us. We don't have to look hard to see the darkness and brokenness in the world. But the world isn't, it wasn't meant to be like that. The world wasn't created to be dark and broken. No, God created the world and said that the world was good. And he created people and said that people were very good. He created the world and people just because it pleased him. And when he created them, we created us, it was, it was great, it was perfect. But, but people mess up. See, as people, we kind of let sin into our life. We let brokenness in. We let darkness in. We let violence in. We were looking out for us, me individually, and that caused brokenness. It caused brokenness between us and God. Our relationship with him, it, it was broken. It was shattered. And we see that when we doubt that God exists. We see it when we question, does God really love me? We see it when we question truth. There's a brokenness between us and God. There's also a brokenness between us and people. We see it because we steal from each other. We lie to each other. We take advantage of each other. We talk about people behind their back. We cheat. We look out for number one, me first. I got to make sure that I'm happy. There's a brokenness between me and somebody else. There's a brokenness between us and people. There's also a brokenness between us and the place where we live, in the world, in the city, in our neighborhood. And we see that when we look outside and you have to squint your eyes to see through the smog and pollution just to see the beauty of the mountains, right? We see it when we don't take care of the place that we live in. When we live with a consumer mindset where we go and try to get more stuff, get more stuff, and we end up spending and using a lot of resources. And it just leaves lots of waste. There's a brokenness between us and where we live. Between us and the people around us and between us and God. But that's not the way that the world was intended to be. Remember, God loved the world. And so he sent his son Jesus into the world to bring healing and life. He restored sight to the blind man. He healed the leper. 
He walked with the sick and the lonely and the hurting, the people that were rejected on earth. Jesus took up company with. Jesus came to bring life on earth, and he did that. Yet there's still this problem of sin. And so Jesus knew that he had to willingly go to the cross to take on the penalty of sin, which is death, separation from God. Because we couldn't pay it, we would forever be separated from God. That relationship, it would always be broken. This relationship would always be broken. This relationship would always be broken. Only Jesus could fix it. Only he could restore. And so he went to the cross and died. And then in three days, the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and defeated the power of sin so that when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this relationship is restored with God. This relationship with us and people is restored, and this relationship with us, the city, and the world begins to be restored as well. The amazing part of the gospel is that it's holistic like that. It's not just me and God, me and God. It includes all of us, and it includes a mission. The amazing part of the gospel is that it restores, and that it is restoring, and that it will always restore. And that's the gospel that's in this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. It's the good news that the love of Jesus is generous enough to restore one person. It's also generous enough to restore relationships and generous enough to restore the city. And so I hope I've given you enough time to turn to Luke 19. Let's read that together. And as I read, I want you to picture yourself in the story. Maybe you're sitting up in that tree with Zacchaeus. Or maybe you're standing off watching this whole thing happen. But picture yourself in this story as I read. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus! Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Well, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the, Lord, to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I love this story. This story is amazing because it talks about the gospel like I was talking about. But I feel like I can also relate with Zacchaeus. And maybe you can relate with Zacchaeus too. See, what Zacchaeus experienced then with Jesus, we also can experience today. Zacchaeus experienced the generous love of Jesus that restored him 
And the love of Jesus is generous enough to restore you today as well. The love of Jesus is generous enough to restore us, to restore you. One of the parts that sticks out to me in this story is what Jesus does. Okay, Jesus, he's walking through Jericho. Okay, notice that he's walking through Jericho. He's not going to stay in Jericho because Jesus is on a mission. Actually, Jesus, he's, he's a busy guy. Not that his life is so full that he doesn't have time for people. That's not what I'm saying. There are people crowding around Jesus, literally crowding around him, that are calling out for his time. Give attention to me. Give attention to me. If Jesus, he could, he could spend his whole single day with all of these people, and yet there's still a mission that he's on. He's on a mission to Jerusalem, a mission to the cross. He's on a mission to die for our sin. And in the midst of all that, the crowds around Jesus, the mission that he's on to go to the cross, Jesus stops. Looks up and says, there's a guy up there. What's he doing? And laughs. No, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus stops, looks up at the tree, his heart's moved with compassion. He calls out to the man by name, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. Jesus stops what he's doing, is generous with his time, and pours it all into one man, Zacchaeus. And I think he's doing that for each of us today. He's generous with his time and pours all of his attention into each one of us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that sort of love or attention from somebody before in your life. But it's really encouraging and empowering when that happens. A mentor of mine, her name is Sherry, she was a professor of mine at Fresno Pacific, and she also gave me my first job after college. And Sherry was kind of like, she was kind of like Jesus. She, she's a very busy person. She has a lot of, she's in charge of people and leading people. But she's also in uh, doing a lot of ministry and very busy. She has a full life. And yet every time I encounter Sherry, it feels like she always has time to stop, greet me by name, and have a conversation like the only person in the world that matters in the busy room where we are is me. Have you ever experienced that with somebody before? It's encouraging when it happens, right? It feels empowering. Like it feels like, wow, I actually matter to somebody. This is amazing. Are there people in your life that you notice when you have conversations, you're kind of already one foot out going to the next thing, and you're kind of waving and talking as you're walking away, bye, 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 like, that would, hurt, that would be kind of hurtful. I, I notice that I do that to people. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Sherry. I want to be like Jesus, who stops and remembers the name of the people in my life so that they experience the love of Jesus through me. And I really hope the same for you, that people would experience and encounter love in you. And I hope that you would encounter that same love in someone else as they stop 
and talk with you. Because that's the same encounter that Zacchaeus had with Jesus, and it restored him. Because it's a soul-restoring kind of love, isn't it? So let's be that kind of people that stop and recognize others and value them for who they are. It's the kind of love and attention that restores. And it's the kind of love and attention that comes from Jesus, from his heart, because the love of Jesus is generous enough to restore each of us. And the love of Jesus is also generous enough to restore our relationships. See, after Zacchaeus was restored, he experienced some relational restoration too. Zacchaeus, he had some issues. People hated Zacchaeus. He was a traitor and he was a thief. In his time, the Roman government was oppressing the Jews. They were taxing the Jews like nobody's business, taking money all over the place. It was hard for the Jews. And they used tax collectors to collect that money and bring it to them. And Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. But more than that, Zacchaeus wasn't Roman. He was a Jew. So he was a traitor. His people looked at him, you're, you're taking money from us to give to the Romans? You're a traitor, they said. But even more than that, Zacchaeus was taking money off on top of what the money he was taking for the taxes to the Roman government, he was taking to keep for himself. So the Jews already had a hard time with the taxes for Rome, but then Zacchaeus was stealing even more for himself, and he became rich off of his fellow Jews. That sounds like a pretty messed up, broken relationship to me. Zacchaeus needed to make it right, wouldn't you say? And this kind of reminds me of a story of somebody in my life. Uh, I work with a person named Grace. She works at Neighborhood Church, but she also, she has a whole bunch of other jobs. At Neighborhood Church, she's, a, she's one of the preachers, and she's a really awesome preacher, one of my favorite preachers. I'm serious. And she also works at VORP, which stands for Victim Offender Reconciliation Program, and it's at Fresno Pacific. And I'm just going to read you the mission statement of VORP. They bring victims and offenders and involve community members face-to-face to restore wholeness to all those affected by crime. Through the process, the injustice is recognized and made as right as possible. Trust is rebuilt and the relationship restored. It sounds like Zacchaeus could benefit from something like VORP. He is the offender. The people he's stealing from are the victims. They need a relationship restoration. Well, Grace, everything that she does, the, those values of restoring relationship and justice to people are so much a part of her life that it just comes out of her. Okay? And the kids that she mentors in our neighborhood, they're literally down the street from where I live. Um, the kids in, in our neighborhood... They're like, quote her all the time, okay? So one of the things that she says is you need to make it right when something happens that's wrong. You need to make it right. You need to make it right. If they do something that hurts somebody, she says, hey, you probably want to make that right. She says it so much that the kids repeat it. 
So much so that the kids, when they're fighting, like out in the yard, they're play fighting, like, you need to make it right, you need to make it right. Like, kind of funny if you think about it, right? But the idea is still there. We need to make it right when there's a wrong. Well, one day, Grace saw one of the kids running into their, into their house with three backpacks. She thought, that's kind of weird. So she went and talked to him about it. Hey, where'd you get those backpacks? And he said, uh, uh, some old lady gave them to me as he ran inside the house. Well, she tried to talk to him, but he was running inside the house and didn't get a chance to. The next day, she arranged to pick them up from school. And this kid and a group of other kids, she offered to take over to her house to do homework. And only this kid, the one that stole the backpacks, wanted to go. And she thought, well, this is a great opportunity. So she said, hey, I need to ask you a question. And his response was, it's about the backpacks, isn't it? Yeah, it's about the backpacks. What happened? In his response, he was honest. He said, I, my cousins don't have backpacks, and I wanted to take backpacks to them because they don't have any. They don't have a backpack to carry their school supplies or books to school, and I wanted to help them. Like, wow, that's, actually, that's really honorable. But she had to talk to him about maybe stealing isn't the right way to go about this. Um, and she asked the question, what do we need to do? And his response, I need to make it right. And so they started walking to the elementary school, which is literally just down the street. The whole way, he is dragging his feet because he doesn't want to get in trouble. And when they get there, the vice principal and the principal, they're busy in a meeting. Off the hook. No. Because this kid says, you know what we should do? We should go to the store and we should get a whole bunch of school supplies and fill them up in the backpacks and then bring them back and then drop them off at the school. And so that's what they did. And on the way, he decided, and just because this is going to cost money, I'm going to volunteer 10 weeks in a row at Neighborhood Church just to pay back the cost of what it is to fill these backpacks with school supplies. Well, they went and bought the supplies, put them in the backpacks, went back to the school, met with the vice principal and the principal. They were there, and he told the whole story, what had happened. And then after he was done telling what happened, he said, I'm really sorry. I know that I shouldn't have stolen them. It was wrong. I went and filled them with school supplies. And I'm just wondering, is there anything that I could do to make it right? And the vice principal was floored. Nobody asks, how can I make it right? He was shocked. But what this kid was experiencing, what the vice principal was experiencing, what was going on right there was a relational restoration. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's restoring relationships. It's making things right. The love of Jesus is generous enough to restore our broken relationships, and it's also generous enough to restore our city. And you might ask, what does the city have to do with this passage? Jesus isn't restoring the city, but he is. He is. Through Zacchaeus. Because after all, Zacchaeus is a businessman. A crooked one, but he's a businessman. He's stealing from people. He's a crooked businessman. But when Jesus comes, Zacchaeus encounters Jesus and is restored. He's also restored to people and then restored in his business because he gives back four times as much as he stole. He vows to take care of the people that he stole from. 
I would say he experienced a heart change and a relational change, but also a business model change. The city around him is being restored as he cares for people. For us, I think it gets overwhelming to think about how can we address the needs in the city? How can we address the injustice? When there's problems happening in the world, what do I even do? How can I play a part in this? It seems so much bigger than me. And a lot of times it does feel bigger. But I feel like at the basis level, what we can learn from Zacchaeus is that because Jesus is restoring one person and restoring the way that one person, Zacchaeus, does business, that he's also doing that in the city today, one person at a time, bringing restoration to the city. And so that means we all have a role to play. That means it's all of our responsibility to make sure that we treat people with dignity, with honor, with respect, and love. doesn't matter what people look like if they look different than us. It doesn't matter what people believe if it's different beliefs than us. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation people are if it's different than us. Doesn't matter what people believe, like I said, doesn't matter where people live, doesn't matter where people are from, what job they have. We need to treat people with dignity, with honor, with love and respect, because that's what Jesus is doing. That's what brings restoration to Zacchaeus, to Zacchaeus' relationships, and to the city. Part of us following Jesus on mission is making sure that we do that as well. Jesus is restoring you, restoring Zacchaeus. He's restoring broken relationships, and he's restoring the city. It's the whole gospel. So as the worship team comes up, we're going to close with this, and I invite you guys to all stand. I've been using that word restoration a lot because that word is so important to the gospel, to what Jesus does. He's restoring us. He's restoring our relationships in the city. And he's inviting us to be a part of that. And there's many ways that we can be a part of it. Many ways that we see it happen, specifically. Today, I only want to talk about three Because there's only so much time, but there's so many things to talk about. And if you want to talk more about what it looks like to be involved in the city, come find me after and talk to me. And I would love to talk with you about it. But the three things I want us to think about as we worship and respond today is one, ask Jesus, where might you need him to restore you today? Where do you need him to restore you today? Ask Jesus, where do I need to make it right in one of my relationships? Have I done something wrong? Has something been wrong done to me? Where do I need to make it right? And ask, what are my gifts and passions? And how can I use those to bless 
and build other people up. As we respond, consider those things. Because Jesus is restoring us to himself. Jesus is restoring us to each other. And Jesus is restoring the city in which we live, in which we are a part of. And the good news is that he's inviting us to be a part of it. So may we experience the fullness of life that God has for us through the restoring work of Jesus. And may we seek to share the work of restoration with those in our lives. And may we join Jesus in that work in the city where we live. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that you restore us. Thank you that you restore our relationships. And I thank you that you restore this city. Please give us eyes to see the ways that you're at work doing that and help us to have faith to join you in it.